it's a little early, but uh, happy Thanksgiving, pilgrims. We've been going through Peter and talking about how we're foreigners in this land, how we're pilgrims headed to a, a heavenly home. Um, so it's kind of fitting to remember us as pilgrims today. Before we go forward in our study through 1 Peter, let's quick recap uh, what we've covered and, uh, and who Peter is talking to. This letter is being written around 64 A.D. from Rome. Uh, Peter is addressing believers that have been scattered across a large region of the Roman Empire. Nero is in power and Christians are being persecuted. Their freedom, their possessions, um, even their life is at, are at risk. And Peter is encouraging them to hold fast to the hope that they have in heaven and to hold loosely to this life. And we're going to see this theme continued as we move through these next sections in 1 Peter. Um, we're going to take a moment and we're going to look back at that hope that was displayed back in chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. It says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus from the dead, now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change or decay, and through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. In summary, in Christ we have a great hope that far outweighs any suffering that can come our way. Today we're going to be continuing where we left off last week um, at chapter 3, verse 13. Here Peter uh, is going to continue, to, he continues to give us direction on how to handle persecution and suffering. Last week we looked at his instructions that he gave to slaves and how those instructions were not only God-honoring, but they also were practical ways to kind of help them minimize punishment and maximize their chance for winning favor of their master. Um, the next section um, in Peter is encouraging believers to kind of follow that same model. We're going to serve in a way that's honoring to God, and it also serves to lessen persecution and also display a life that can influence the, the people around us and how they view us and how they treat us. So before we dive into there, let's pray. Lord, I just thank you that, uh, that we have a heavenly hope in you, that uh, we have a reward that far outweighs any persecution that we may endure. Lord, we thank you that uh, even though we're undeserving, Lord, in your grace and your mercy, you offered it to us, Lord. And I just pray that you would help us to, um, to have that same love for the world around us, that we would take this message of hope, um, this message of heaven to the world around us, and that they might receive and be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, many years ago, I, I read a book <coughs> I called, I read, sorry, I read part of a book. <laughs> There's a lot of books I've read parts of. Um, I read part of a book called Crucial Conversations. Uh, in the, that book, there was a tip that kind of stuck out to me. Uh, I don't remember the exact phrasing of it, but essentially, um, it said that when you're in a conversation, 
that, uh, that looks like it might become confrontational, that you should ask yourself this question. Are, you, are the words that you're planning to say going to achieve the result that you desire? Are the words you're planning to say going to result in the outcome that you desire? If we allow ourselves to answer that question and we allow that answer to guide the next thing that we say, and sadly for me, that's not always true, but if we did, um, that oftentimes would mean not saying the thing that we think that they deserve to hear. But instead, we would shape our response with patience and with love, even when maybe their actions and attitudes don't warrant it. Uh, we heard uh, a couple weeks ago from Pastor Frank from China, and he told us about a time that he was being checked in by what he called the, the Chinese FBI. And obviously when they come in, there's an intimidation factor there, right? And, but instead of responding to being intimidated, he responded with love, and as a result, he won favor in a place that would be highly unanticipated. Um, with, so with that in mind, let's move in to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. It starts with, Now who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? He doesn't exactly answer this question. This is a rhetorical question. We all know that in most cases, doing good for someone will not result in somebody wanting to harm you. Um, Peter is again giving, they said, some good practical advice that even if someone might, wanted to, uh, might have wanted to attack these early Christians, they, they may have not liked them um, because, because their beliefs didn't align with, with the culture um, and maybe they felt convicted by it. But... Um, but if these Christians had a reputation for doing good, helping others, serving others, it, it kind of takes a little bit of the wind out of the sails of the aggressor and makes them kind of stop and think, why was it that I don't like Christians again? Why did I want to hurt them? Um, the same is true for us. We, we may not be changing the hearts of would-be attackers or, or people that want to harm us, but by living out what God wants us to do, by living, uh, doing good, uh, we can move their attitude from maybe maybe they have an attitude where they think Christians are hypocritical and hateful. And maybe by our doing good, it'll move the needle a little bit to uh, maybe Christians are not so bad. Um, maybe it's from Christians are a little bit weird to I kind of am interested in what they have. Living out our faith by showing kindness can change the way that we're viewed and the way that we're treated by the world around us. 1 Peter 3, uh, verse 14 says, But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry, about, uh, don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. So even if we do as much as we can to mitigate suffering by doing good, um, we have to come to terms that in this world there will be suffering. There are those out there whose hearts are so hard that no matter how much good we do, um, they're not going to be won over by our kindness. So alleviating suffering can't be our primary reason for doing good. The first, um, at the, if it is, then the first sign that we re, that we feel that we're being, you know, that we're being persecuted, that we're experiencing suffering again, uh, it makes us say, "Hey, this isn't working," and it takes away um, our eagerness to do good. 
So the reduced suffering mentioned is more of a, a fringe benefit of, of obeying God. It's a result of following uh, pr- the principles of wise living, similar to what we see in the book of Proverbs. Uh, many of those Proverbs seem like kind of common sense to some of us, but as we look on the world, we see that there's a lot of places um, where they're not being put into practice. So um, obviously you're, you're kind to others. You're more likely to receive kindness back. Looking back at verse 15, um, at the very end there, we see that it said, uh, it, it said that our main reason is to show worship to God, that we must, there we go, 3, 14, 15, uh, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. You must worship Christ as Lord of your life. So the thing that drives us is our commitment and our desire to worship Christ by putting him first in our life, remembering his sacrifice and also the hope that we talked about, finding joy in remembering that he has promised a reward that greatly outweighs any suffering that we might experience. Now, for those of you who love sports analogies, um, I was thinking about football and how players play through pain. And uh, more specifically, I was thinking about a particular game where Gordon Rose's son, Pete, was playing. And at a certain point in the game, and I don't know if he hit somebody or if somebody hit him, uh, but he broke his collarbone. And this was, this was late in the game, and um, he didn't know at the moment that, he, that his collarbone was broken, but I'm sure it didn't feel good. But he had a commitment to his team, and he had a hope in a big win, and that persuaded him pers- to, to want to continue on to keep playing. And so he went back in and he played in the game, even though there was an increased chance that he was going to experience more pain. Now that might seem kind of crazy to a lot of you who have not played in sports or are not especially competitive, but this type of display is pretty common in sports. Um, Players push through pain because they have a, a passionate commitment to their team and they have a hope for glory at the end of the season. Worshiping Christ as Lord of our lives is something that we as Christians are passionate about. As people who have experienced the greatest victory of all time, we should work hard to push through any pain for big wins in the lives of the lost around us. Peter continues to encourage us to share our faith in uh, 1 Peter 3.15, the second half of it says, and if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Beginning of 16 says, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. The word explain that's used in this verse is the word apologia. It's uh, where we get the word apologetics from. But I think what, what Peter's talking about here is a little bit different than what we normally think of when we think of apologetics. Um, So I want to look at this verse, and we're going to consider how this apologia or this explaining, how it's kind of sandwiched between a a couple thoughts that explain the when and how that this explaining happens. So not to make anybody hungry or get your mind on lunch, um, but these two verses kind of make, uh, take the meat of Christianity, which is the gospel message, and puts a nice bun around it to make it easy for the hearer to receive, okay? So if we remember back to um, chapter 2, we heard about how Jesus Christ is a stumbling block, that Jesus Christ can be hard for for people to accept. 
So let's see how Peter prepares this gospel sandwich to make it a little bit easier for the message to be received. So the, the first step, the first thing we're going to look at is actually the top bun. Um, and that is our life. It says that if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, okay, so if, if somebody asks you about your hope as a, a believer, this, this implies two different things. You, are, you must be displaying the attitudes and actions of somebody who has hope. That's one. And two, they must know that you're a believer. They know that you're a Christian. So if you're not displaying hope, you don't need to worry about giving an explanation for it, right? If you're constantly in a bad mood and you respond uh, to circumstances in the same way the rest of the world does, nobody's going to be coming to you for life advice. You're topping your sandwich with a moldy bun, okay? <laughs> Nobody wants it. Also, they're not going to ask you for your hope as a believer if they don't know that you are a believer, if they don't know that you're a Christian. And how would they know if you don't talk about it? Uh, it can be kind of easy for us to compartmentalize our Christian faith and just want to talk about it in the context of church or maybe in our immediate family. Um, but we need to, to make it part of something that we talk about in our daily life. It's part of, of our lives. We're putting our life on display. So there's a difference between talking about your faith and explaining your faith. I'm going to explain that a little bit. Um, talking about your faith is just sharing your life with others. It's just letting them know the things that you're thinking about and the things that you do, right? That top bun is the first thing that people see. This can be as simple as telling somebody uh, about a thought you had based on a verse that you read, or, or maybe it's a conversation you had with somebody at church, or, or maybe it's an event that you went to at church that, that you know, happened over the weekend, and you're telling people about what happened over the weekend. Maybe it's about a, something that a missionary that we support is doing that's kind of cool. Um, these are things that don't put the other person on the spot. You know, they don't make them feel like you're pushing their religion, but it gives them a little understanding of why you're different, why, why you have a hope that's being displayed. It's being openly Christian so that people might see your hope and ask about your faith. Then when they notice our lives and they ask us about the faith that we have, then we get to the next layer. We get to the meat. Verse 15 says, always be ready to explain it. You may say, I don't know if I feel comfortable explaining the gospel to a non-Christian. Well, I know, I know exactly what you mean. And, and in, some, in some regards, maybe we just have to, to accept that we're going to feel a little uncomfortable. There's, there's going to be a little bit of that. And we can, we can suffer a little bit of uncomfortableness to, to share the gospel. But if we have that first bun in place, it helps kind of alleviate some of that. Um, not only does that, that top bun of explaining, you know, showing our life and our faith prepare the hearer to, to want to hear what we have to say, but it also helps because um, they already kind of see that we're different. Um, you don't have to worry about what are they going to think about me when they find out that I'm a Christian. Uh, they're already going to know that you're a little weird, right? <laughs> So you don't have to worry anymore about their reaction. Um, some of you may be thinking, what, uh, what can I do to be more prepared to give the explanation? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> um, when we think about having to be ready to explain our faith, uh, especially when it comes to the terms of apologetics, it, it maybe feels a little overwhelming. 
Um, we might be thinking, you know, that we're not prepared. And our mind might race with questions like, uh, do I know enough? Um, how do I defend creationism, evolution, the flood, or even why bad things happen to good people? We can all take a deep breath. You don't have to worry about all those things. It does not say that you have to be ready to give an explanation for every theological argument. That's not what it says. It says, be ready to give an explanation for the hope that you have. The hope that you have. Why do you believe what you believe? That seems a little bit more doable, right? Yeah. If somebody asks you why you believe in Jesus, you can tell them about your relationship with Jesus. You can tell them how you became a Christian, how it started, how it has grown over the years. If they ask you why do you go to church, you can tell them what the church is, that the church is a, a family of believers and we that you go there because you, you want to learn more about God and you want to worship him, and that's the place that we go to do that. Um, if you don't want to say worship, you could say we sing songs to celebrate God. Um, maybe a little bit less Christianese way of saying it. Um, or if they ask you why you don't criticize your boss or why you don't swear or why you don't get drunk or maybe why you do things that you do where you show kindness to people who don't aren't generally liked in your workplace, or maybe uh, you serve when there's no benefit to be had, um, you can say that you want to live your life to please God and that uh, he gives you um, things that he tells you to do or not to do. And one of the ways that you show love to God is by obeying the instructions that he gave you. So uh, if you still feel like you're a little uncomfortable answering questions about your faith, um, I want to encourage you to try three things. First thing, um, pray for boldness and read verses about boldness. Allow, allow the, the scriptures to penetrate your heart and to, to give you the strength and the, the eagerness to, to present your faith to others. The second thing is uh, make a list of questions about your faith that, uh, that you can ask yourself and then you can answer for yourself. Maybe you, maybe you write them down and, and read them out loud just to kind of help solidify in your heart and solidify in your mind what do you believe. If you ever feel like you might be fumbling for words, it's a good thing to go through and just say, you know, why do I believe these things? Why do I believe that there's a God? Maybe write the answer of that out. Why do I believe that Jesus is God? Um, how did Jesus' death cleanse me from my sin? When you answer these questions about your faith for yourself and you, and you kind of put them into words, maybe, maybe it's been a while since you've actually spoken them out loud and so you don't know how exactly to phrase it. It's, it's something you know you believe, but you just ha- haven't put it into words recently. Um, it's just a good practice to maybe go through and, and help yourself kind of put words to these, um, to these answers. Uh, the third thing that you could do is... Come to a prayer group, um, start a Bible study, go to a Bible study, um, or maybe even just start doing devotions with your family. Give yourself an opportunity to talk about your faith, um, to be able to get comfortable verbalizing what you believe with other people. Um, Also, just a little teaser coming soon. uh, We're going to have a new Wednesday night format that's going to include a topical Bible study for adults, teaching and games for kids, there will be more details to come. So there'll be an opportunity where you could come and, uh, and be able to talk and interact with each other about your faith. 
Um, we're, we're excited about this change. Uh, we've got a lot of kids coming up in the church, and we want to make sure that we are um, teaching them and that we're preparing them to have strong relationships with God. We want them to tie together and have relationships with each other so that as they go through their teen years, they have positive peer influences and, uh, and that uh, they can grow to be healthy mature Christians. We are also excited for you adults to be able to have a chance to do what I'm talking about here, to be able to um, talk about your faith with each other and get more comfortable um, vocalizing what you believe, that you can grow in your faith by sharing your victories and sharing your challenges um, with each other. So back to the message. Um, we're, we're about to go to the, to the bottom bun of this sandwich, um, but just so nobody thinks that, uh, that I'm limiting the, the sharing of the gospel by saying you have to have this top bun, I want you to know that, that even though the top bun is great, it does not mean that you can't initiate a presentation of the gospel um, when you don't have the, the opportunity to first display your life and, and, and wait for somebody to bring that question to you. Um, I know there's uh, street preachers out there and there's um, people that go to booths at the fair and, and talk to people as they're walking by or maybe they go door to door and and, and, and bring up the gospel kind of um, like a cold call style. Um, I have received an open-faced sandwich before. Anybody eat an open-faced sandwich? It, it is a real thing. Um, it's okay, but you just got to be a lot more careful with that bottom bun, right? You, you don't have quite the grip on it, so you got to be a lot more careful, and the bottom bun has to be something that's going to hold it. All right? So we're going to look at that that right now we're going to look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, 16a. It says, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Um, I think we've all heard stories or saw pictures of uh, people out, out on the streets with signs proclaiming judgment, um, completely skipping the bottom bun, and, uh, and just throwing what they think is meat at people, yelling at them in anger. Uh, I did a quick Google image search uh, of uh, Christians on the street. And on the first page, I saw signs that said, judgment is coming, prepare to meet thy God. And you are of the devil, you don't have God's grace. Uh, uh, This is, of course, a tiny minority of Christians, but unfortunately, they get more publicity than what they really should. Um, For most of us, I think that when we start talking about our faith, it's natural for us to be gentle and to be respectful. Um, But the one situation I would say that that I need to be reminded of this in is sometimes you get in a conversation where maybe somebody's attacking your faith or challenging it, and all of a sudden that conversation kind of switches from conversation to debate. Um, And that's when you can kind of forget what your goal is, and instead of... um, wanting to deliver the gospel, you just want to win the fight. Uh, I don't know, is, is anybody else a debater like me that, that kind of gets sucked into that sometimes? I hope I'm not the only one. Um, but it's in those moments that I have to go back to that question that I talked about earlier. I have to ask myself, um, is the next thing that I want to say, is that going to achieve the de- desired results? Now, depending on how emotional you may have gotten in this, uh, in this debate, um, your desired result may be to zing them really good. Um, if, if that's the case, we need to back up a step. Um, and we have to remember that we are to honor God by our suffering uh, and by doing good. And there's no reward for getting punched in the face for delivering the gospel on a zinger sandwich. So um, our, uh, our true desire, our true 
uh, desired result should be to present the gospel in the way that it can be received. And that should be our goal. So um, we're going to move on to Ephesians uh, 15. It kind of gives us a little bit more of a picture of what this bottom layer looks like. It says, instead, we will, be, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. And then in Colossians 4, 5, and 6, it says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. So whether you have the opportunity to put the bun on top or not, the good news of Jesus should be presented and firmly supported with a bottom bun of gentleness, respect, love, grace, and it should be attractive, or or some translations will say uh, it is seasoned with salt. Why is this so important? Well, it says, so that you will have the right response for everyone. The right theology can be the wrong response if it's seasoned with the wrong attitude. We have to have the right attitude or it's not the right response. It has to be something that they can receive. One last note on the bottom bun, and this is an important one um, because it, we see this happening in, in churches uh, around the nation. Um, but the last note on the bottom bun of being gentle and respectful. This does not mean that you remove any of the meat. Okay? There are parts of the gospel message that are hard. Um, they're not easy for people to hear. People, we've all sinned. The world has sinned. And there is a punishment for sin, and it's death. And we can't remove that in the name of gentleness. But you don't tell them that while pointing your finger at them, you know, saying, turn or burn, you know. Um, we do that by pointing our finger at ourselves, maybe, by recounting how um, you were guilty and how, or I was guilty, talking about myself, um, how I was guilty of sin and how Jesus showed his love for me by taking on my punishment. In my, he, he died in my place. So instead of adding um, the bottom bun of, bun of gentleness that some people, um, some people for, forget or maybe they, they go too far with, they try and remove some of the meat. And if you give them a sandwich that's missing that part of the gospel, that's missing that part of meat, uh, it's not going to be a, a meal that's going to satisfy their need for salvation. It's not the whole gospel, and it's not going to save them. We have to share the whole gospel with love and compassion, not fire and brimstone. So 1 Peter uh, 3.16b continues, and it says, Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. Uh, Romans says it this way in chapter 12, 17 and 18. It says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live 
in peace with everyone. Um, And if we jump to verse 20, it says, Instead, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their head. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. All right? It says, never pay back evil with evil. Isn't that a load off, you know, for one last decision to have to make, right? You know, if you're ever wondering whether or not you should retaliate, the answer is never. <laughs> so if, if any of you are disappointed in this and you wish there was a little bit more wiggle room, um, we maybe need to back up a couple of verses to Romans 12, 9, and 9 through 11. It says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tight to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. It says, work hard. It's just talking about loving people, and then it says, work hard. Why? Well, I don't know if you've noticed this, but some people are hard to love, right? But regardless of what the reason is, why, why they seem like they're kind of hard to love, even if it's because they don't treat you well, um, we're still supposed to delight, take delight in honoring them or valuing them. God sees them as valuable. God saw us as valuable. He sees them as valuable enough to die for, so we should delight in showing them honor and valuing them also. Um, 1 Peter 3.18, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. All right, so now we're going to move into a little bit of a tricky spot in First Peter. Um, so you have to bear with me uh, as we as we kind of try and tackle this. Um, there's a there's a lot kind of going on here. So we're going to read through it one time, and then we'll break it down. Verse 19 through 22 says. So he went and preached to the spirits in prison, those who disobeyed God long ago, when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood, and the water is a, is a picture of baptism, which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 22, now Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor next to God and all of the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. So after pointing us back to Christ's suffering and and how it resulted in our redemption, he briefly mentions Jesus preaching to spirits in prison, Noah and the flood, and baptism. Now this section of scripture um, can be kind of confusing, and there's, there's been some debate over it and, and what it means over the years. So I'm going to share what I found um, and try and do my best to kind of tie it all together in the context of what Peter has been telling us uh, so far. So let's begin by looking at it in two pieces. First, we're going to look at Jesus preaching in prison. Um, first, Jesus was raised to life in the Spirit and preached to the spirits in prison. Now, the definition of the Greek word that's used for prison here doesn't necessarily mean 
um, anything about punishment. In fact, one of the uses of this word um, has to do with kind of watching and waiting. And so um, if you put that together, it kind of seems like this could maybe be seen as some sort of a, a waiting room. Um, so Jesus in spirit goes to this, this prison or this waiting room. And in Luke uh, chapter 16, Jesus gives a parable that might give us some insight on what this looked like as Jesus went in his spirit while his body was still in the tomb. Jesus said, There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen, who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried, and he went to a place of the dead. There, in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over to me, uh, over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. All right, so this paints a, a picture of the setting that, that this verse might be talking about. So um, prior to Jesus' death and resurrection, those who died while living under the old covenant, um, those whose sins were temporarily covered by the animal sacrifices, were held in waiting for the day that the perfect atoning sacrifice of the Messiah would come the one who would remove their sin so that they could be united with God. So in this parable, it appears that this heavenly banquet side is also in view of a torment side where there's those who were wicked and did not, did not follow God and were not covered by this temporary atonement are awaiting final judgment. So with that setting in place, um, we look at what's happening. It says, he went and preached to the spirits in heaven, or sorry, the spirits in prison. Sorry. The word translated as preached here um, is keruso. Um, if any of your minds immediately jumped to the karate kid, you may be a child of the 80s. Um, but keruso, not Daniel Caruso, um, but keruso uh, being preached has less to do with teaching and has more to do with proclaiming. Jesus went to proclaim to the spirits in prison that the day of the Messiah has come and victory over sin and death has been won. This proclaiming was in view of both sides of the chasm. It proclaimed salvation to God's children and the coming and the, and the upcoming judgment to those who are in torment. Um, if we look in Ephesians, we get a little bit more detail of what this meant for those who were waiting as God's children. It says, When he ascended on high, 
He led captivity captive. One translation says um, he led he led a crowd of captives. So he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does this mean? But that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. In Jesus, victory over sin and death, when Jesus won victory over sin and death, he descended to those souls that have been waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises. And he led them, he led captivity captive and led them home to be with God. In Jesus' victory over sin, he led them home to God. The next thing that we see here is that Noah and the flood are depicted. This is a picture of baptism. It says, it says that this is a picture of baptism and how God was patient with us. Now God, in the days of Noah, when Noah built the ark, he could have, he could have provided a faster way. He could have made an easier way to save Noah and his family. But instead, he had them build an ark which took around 65 years. This gave those who were living in sin time to hear and repent. But unfortunately, in the end, only Noah and his family were saved. After suffering ridicule and rejection for years, they, because they put their trust in God, were saved from death as the wickedness of the world was buried under a cleansing flood. Peter is showing us that Jesus was willing to suffer and die to save those who would put their trust in God, just as Noah put his trust in God. At the same time, we see that there are those whose sins have put them in a place where they're subject to judgment. There's a separation. There's a chasm. They've missed out. They missed their opportunity. God is patient. And as we saw in the days of Noah, he was patient. He gave opportunity. Um, But we need to proclaim also today that there is salvation out there. We need to proclaim to those who still have that time, who still have that opportunity to receive that there is a baptism today that can save them from the same fate as those who died in the flood. And verse 21 says, it is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God is patient and God has given us a message and he's taught us how to present it, how to, how to, to, to show it with love, just as he gave it to us in love. And so... Um, We're being encouraged to use the opportunity that we have and take advantage of the opportunity that's still left to those who don't know to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we just thank you that you are holy. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to have a heart for those around us, Lord, that we would boldly proclaim uh, the good news that you've called us to be ambassadors of, called us to be uh, voices of in the world, Lord. Lord, help us to, uh, to be comfortable in our Christianity, to be open Christians in the world around us, that people would see our lives displayed, see the, the good that we do for your glory and ask us about the faith that we have in you. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name.
Finishing off in verse 22, it says, Now Christ has gone. Oh, sorry. Verse 21, 22, it says it's effective because of the uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now Christ has gone to heaven and is seated in a place of honor next to God and all of the angels and authorities and powers except his authority. Jesus proclaimed his victory to all of the souls of the past, all of the angels, all of the powers that were cast out of heaven, and none could question it. Jesus is the undisputed king of kings. So whether or not open face or on a bun, this is the meat of the gospel, and this is the reason why we have hope. Hebrews 9.28, So also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. Are you ready? Go in the power of the Holy Spirit, sharing the good news sandwich of Jesus Christ and bringing glory to God. Amen. Amen.